six months after this kid has given her life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, that's exactly when she drowned from that swimming pool accident. Mm. So had it not been for my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I would have lost my mind. And it is one of those moments where it's easy to discuss the Word of God. It's easy to debate it. It's easy to defend the doctrines of the Word of God until your own goose is cooked. What does that look like? Welcome to Grace in 30 on WERALP, Arlington 96.7 FM. This is Ed Mellick, and I'll be your host for the program tonight. Back in 2008, tonight's guest pulled up to his house after a day of work and was greeted by his 10-year-old daughter, Irene, who asked if she could go swimming at a friend's house. Within two hours, Irene was pronounced dead at a local hospital. Later that evening, he called his mother in Africa and told her what had happened, and her reaction was something that few people could imagine. Tonight, we're talking to Cyrus Madbundo, the executive pastor of Global Impact at McLean Bible Church, and Irene's dad. Cyrus joins us to talk about what he learned from his daughter's death, as well as from working in challenging environments. Cyrus, welcome to Grace in 30. Ed, thank you so much for having me tonight. Greetings to all our brothers and sisters and listeners tonight. Why don't we start by you telling listeners, when did you first hear that something had happened to Irene? So I'll begin with the fact that uh, I have an uncle who lived in uh, Pennsylvania. One of the things he told me as I was looking for a place to move to Lynchburg, he says, Cyrus, do a research, find a place that is safe, checking into the school, making sure that nothing crazy is happening in that neighborhood. And of course, as a dad and the head of the household, that was the priority. So September 2nd, 2008, I came back from work, and that was just another ordinary day. And so my daughter came, knocked on the window of the car, said, Dad, I want to go swim at my friend's house. Moments later, as you said, people have come over to my house, asked me to come and take a look at what had happened. They hesitated to tell me exactly what had happened, but I just knew maybe with children something had already happened that I needed to go. So went over, she was taken to the hospital, and that's when really we the reality hit is that she had drowned from that swimming pool accident. Hmm. And the people that knocked on your door, they didn't say anything. They were kind of hesitant to say something was wrong or, or what correct. it was? Yeah, they didn't tell me. They said, are you Irene's dad? I said, yes. They said, would you please come quickly, take a look at what happened over at the house? The house is not five-minute walk. It's just a you know neighborhood. So when I went, I am not looking at the lifeless body of the kid. I just gave permission to a moment ago about to be taken to, to the, uh, the ambulance to go to the hospital. Now, they tried to, they worked on her for a little while, about an hour and a half? Yeah, a little over an hour and a half. The staff at the hospital worked really hard on her. Unfortunately, later they came over and said, Mr. Cyrus, we just want to let you know we have tried everything. Your youngest daughter, 10-year-old Irene, has passed away. Mm. So what you, you said some interesting things when we talked on the phone preparing for this mm. interview and, yes. and sort of what you were thinking as you, as you looked down on your daughter. That's right. And, and what was going through your head? The challenging part for me was I am a believer, and so I knew that this was something that our God, who is capable of even resurrecting the Lazarus of the world, could certainly do something about this. So I prayed. Unfortunately, the prayer was not answered with what I was asking for as far as the health of the daughter. And so when she passed away, that reality hit. I was reminded of what, uh, you know, John sixteen thirty three tells us, the Lord Jesus himself, in this world, you will. It's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when. And that was, those, uh, that, was that moment for me. 
Yep, you mentioned that scripture. Let's talk about your mom. She, mm. she lives in your country of origin. Correct. And you called her that night. Tell us about what happened, how you, how you broke the news to her and how she reacted. So I'm the oldest of 12 children, and before I left Africa to come to the United States, two of my siblings have died. So my mother had buried already two of her children. So when I called her, I said, Mom, this is a terrible news I'm calling you. Uh, my youngest daughter, Irene, had just passed away from drowning from the accident of uh, the swimming pool. Word out of her mouth to me was, Cyrus, bless God. Son, you must praise God, and hung up the phone. Didn't continue the conversation. And I was shocked, first of all, with her reaction when she said that. But she was essentially speaking to me, born of that experience with God, to say, son, it is to him, the one who gave you Irene as a gift, he is the one that you need to bless and praise. Mm, that That's amazing, because it's, it's an unworldly reaction. Correct. I mean, people would, you know... When you told me that, I heard you speak down mm -hmm. in the mall yes. in D.C. At a, at a gathering, and when you told that story, I was like, wow, that's unbelievable. That's when I knew I had to bring you on the program. Amen. What about your wife, Julie? How did, how did she react to, to this news? And must have been difficult to lose a, a mom, to lose her child. No doubt. And I think that I am grateful that God has given me a godly woman. So the Lord has already been working in my wife, Julie's heart. She was an orphan whose biological mother had died. And so she has experienced the challenges of life. So when this happened and being her last child, I am grateful that the Lord had worked supernaturally in her heart to accept this reality. She was pacing and struggling with that. But the Lord has essentially given her peace. And the passage that worked in her heart to help her with this is Matthew eleven thirty, where Jesus said, my yoke is, my yoke is easy. My burden it is light. It is John Piper who had written a book clarifying this passage, and that's what helped Julie in his book, uh, When I Don't Desire God. It, John Piper simply said, live in such a way that when others see your life, they find this passage to be true, and mm -hmm. they find Jesus to be true. So that's really what God has done in my wife Julie's heart. What a gift to me as a dad, because it's the paralysis of analysis of giving permission to my daughter. I was supposed to be the protector, and now this happened, and I'm looking at a wife who was struggling with how am I going to move forward with this but God in his provision blessed me with the wife who that he had worked in her heart to to, to heal with this reality yeah when you think of that scripture you know come to me all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens and I will mm. give you rest yes you probably didn't feel very restful <laughs> when that happened you know, take my yoke upon you you know for my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light mm -hmm. these words they don't make sense to, to human beings in the human experience no they don't the, simply the scriptures gave you comfort or just sort of this confidence you had that you will see Irene again you mentioned to me that she came to faith in Christ probably yes. six months or so before absolutely so the church that I sent my mother-in-law as a medical missionary to Africa. When I came to the United States, that church was struggling. I ended up becoming the pastor of that church. So March 2nd was Irene's biological birth. And it was also on March 2nd, 2008, that she gave her life to Jesus Christ. And I had the privilege of baptizing her mm. publicly when she said, I've given and surrendered my life to Jesus Christ. But Brother Ed, here's the deal. Six months after this kid has given her life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, that's exactly when she drowned from that swimming pool accident. Mm. So had it not been for my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I would have lost my mind. Yeah. And it is one of those moments where it's easy to discuss the Word of God. It's easy to debate it. 
right? It's easy to defend the doctrines of the Word of God until your own goose is cooked. What does that look like? So that's really what Julie and I had to wrestle with. Lord, we say we believe you, we trust you, we love you, but here is an opportunity where in that most painful circumstance in our lives, and none of us want to outlive our children, and to be in that position was totally to go back to God and say, Lord, you have to take over because we have nothing in us to be able to handle this challenge, which is a trial in itself. Yeah, listening to you talk, I mean, you're, you're joyful about it. You're sharing this story. You gave her permission to swim. Yes. Sir. I mean, there are many people in the world that have been involved in something like that, whether it's a car accident or something, and they know they took some action or didn't take some action where somebody mm-hmm. died. Yes. And, and they wrestle with that for the rest of their lives. Right. I mean, I'm assuming you have that that glorious, inexpressible joy that right. the scriptures talk about. And this is really the deal. I have spoken across the United States. I've crisscrossed Africa. I have preached to people who have faced challenging circumstances. But this was one of those moments where it is no longer just the speaker telling people. Mm-hmm. It is as the speaker in the hands of God, what does that look like? The things that I have the privilege of preaching or teaching to others. And so the joy that the Lord had given me was simply the recognition that, Lord, you're in control. Proverbs uh, 37, 20, uh, Psalm 37, 23 says, the steps of a righteous man are ordered by God, meaning that none of the things that happen to us catches God by surprise. Yep. So it was resting in that knowledge that, Lord, if this has happened, you are fully aware and you're still sovereign. And to you, I come. Julie and I came to him for that. Oh, that's great. That's a great example. You know, you've done a lot of traveling around the world. You've been at McLean Bible a year and a half, two years. Yes. Uh, you previously, you were VP at the a- an Africa Chief Strategist for World Help. Hmm. So you've lived and worked and traveled extensively around the world, and in particular in Africa. And in our conversation, we got talking about grace it should be by default radical. Our lives should be so amazing that people's necks snap when, when they see us go by. They yes. just can't believe that life. And you started telling me about some stories about Rwanda. You started going there back in 2008. Correct. And you told me just this incredible story of forgiveness. Why don't, why don't you set the stage for what happened in Rwanda yes. back in 1994? Sure. And then, and then tell us in particular the story about uh, Steve and Matthias. And I really think listeners would love to hear this. Absolutely. So first time, Steve, that I visited Rwanda was back in June of 2008. It's a small country about the size of Maryland or New Jersey. Population back in 1994 ran about 8 million people. So in in just three-month period, 1.1 million people were killed, not by people from outside, and this was from within. There were three tribes in Rwanda, Hutu, Tutsi, and the Tuwa. Well, what has happened was that neighbors have gone after each other, killed each other to the extent that it's almost like six people per minute. They've killed more people efficiently than during the Second World War. From 1939 to 1945, that's six million Jews that were killed. So we're running an average of one million per year. But for Rwanda, that was 1.1 million in 90 days. Mm. So that just gives you the weight of how the soil of Rwanda was soaked with the blood of the very people from that land. Well, I get to Rwanda. I have led numerous teams, whether it's from churches. But this particular example I was going to give you is that of Liberty University students that I've taken on this particular trip to a village 
in the community of Bukesera. It is called the village of reconciliation. That's where you have perpetrators of the genocide and victims living together. I've never seen anything like this in my life. And Pastor Steve Gahiji, who was a just a regular believer and pastor, has been doing this prison ministry, going into prison and preaching to these perpetrators of the genocide. And he's a local Rwandan. He is a local Rwandan and a pastor. So when he went on one of these preaching assignments, if you will, after he was done preaching about what Jesus said on the cross, according to Luke 23, 34, stretching nails in his hand, he said, Father, forgive them for they not know what they're doing. Steve preached to them. They, in turn, listened to this. One of the prisoners came to him at the end of the session and just folded a piece of paper and put it in the top pocket of his shirt. Said, Pastor Steve, do not read this until you go home. He gets home. Later on, as he was changing his clothes, he felt this piece of paper, opened it and read it. And here, Matthias has confessed in that note, I am the guy who participated in the killing of your family members. And your preaching today has awakened me out of my pride. I have repented and thank you for teaching me about the word of God. Pastor Stephen said that night he was shaking like crazy. Well, bottom line, this man had forgiven Matthias, and they're now doing ministry together. And so he was introducing him to us with the Liberty University student. Please meet my brother Matthias. But he was the guy that killed some of my relatives. We were just blown away. Mm. That is truly the grace of God, because Pastor Stephen said, I could not comfortably preach to others what Jesus said on the cross of Calvary and not live it in my own life. And this became more of an example of how God has demonstrated his grace. And that arrested me out of my pride, brother, watching this man say that. It's got to make you pause and think. I mean, look at what we get mad over. I had a gentleman on here who has a small church he started, and he says, if you want to see ungraceful behavior, go to a a community board meeting. Wow. You know, of your association and watch. That's right. And so here people are you know, someone's murdered someone and they're forgiving them, this radical right. forgiveness. Hmm. And yet here in America, we're just, we're so divided right now. Yes. H- have you been able to see these stories, these experiences you have, have you taken them, you know, within this country, within McLean, within the congregation, within hmm. your, your community, and been able to sort of convey those messages and see people changed from that? Sure. Because I mean, when I hear it, it's, it's just amazing, the story. It is. As a matter of fact, before we even left Rwanda, a dear friend of mine, Bishop John, who is a, is a pastor in Rwanda, I asked him, I said, how is it that back in 1994, you had 70% of the population said they were Christians, and most of the killing truly was done by the hands of some believers as well. And that's why Bishop John says, Cyrus, we have converted people to the church, but we did not convert them to Christ. And his point was, when Jesus sets up housekeeping in somebody's heart. Their conduct is to reflect his lordship. What C.S. Lewis said, he's not a tamed lion. So when he sets up housekeeping, the behavior of this person who is now said, Lord, I belong to you, is to reflect his life. And so in that, it has affected me personally, whether in my my parental responsibility, which we will touch base on it, but it just encouraged me as I counsel brothers and sisters. I let them know that the death of my daughter had taught me one thing. Death is inevitable. You hold on to bitterness. John Ortberg said, you are drinking poison and expecting somebody else to die. So it's eating you up. And so definitely it has helped us to encourage others to consider this teaching. 
Yeah, so the um, the reaction of the students, I mean, it had to have a profound impact on these students when they came home, correct? It did. It did. Right there, one of the students said, what medicine are you taking? Asking <laughs> Pastor uh, Steve Gahiji. He said, no, Jesus alone. And that was the first time for me to see that the Lord is still busy with this redemptive work that is going on. That was a horrible circumstance that Rwanda has been oh, through. But boy, to see his word come alive in the lives of the people. Bukesera is a place where many people travel there, and they're watching that experience. There's actually a documentary about that, As We Forgive. That's the name born out of what the Lord taught about forgiveness in that Matthew chapter 6, verse 12. Yeah, I watched a little bit of it, the, the beginning of it and it's it's just fascinating because they had to release 30 some thousand people yes a lot of the judges a lot of the lawyers had been killed right and they just couldn't process people and there was a decision made to release a significant amount of these people and yes and, and they had nowhere to go but back into the community exactly so what what can you do right and even it's the word of god that has helped them with this 125,000 people who were incarcerated so the cost of keeping them in prison is already exorbitantly expensive and so the president of the country has made the uncomfortable decision to release 60,000 people wow. on the street you know in the us we release 700,000 people annually and in two years, most of them will reoffend and go back to prison because of the preaching of the gospel, the prison fellowship that has been so instrumental in Rwanda, only 12% of recidivism rate. So uh -huh. that tells you the power of the word of God yep. in the lives of these uh, prisoners so, that have left. So it is a, an international branch of prison fellowship ministry? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. that's, that's fantastic. They've been having incredible results, dramatically lowering recidivism rates. And, you know, where they've done studies to say, hey, these yes. are people that have been through the prison fellowship program. These mm. are people who have not. That's right. And there's a dramatic difference between, you know, returning and not turning. Exactly. So I want to make sure we have a little bit of time, too, to talk about... Um, your daughter's story, because it, yes. it's, you know, you've got just, and I, and I have to digress a little bit because um, mm. I believe every Christian has been through some experiences or they will go through something that can become their story, right. where they become unstoppable. Yes. Like in Acts 4, after Peter and John healed a, a crippled beggar, they were jailed and released, mm. and, the, and the council says, hey, no more talk about Jesus and we'll let you go. Yes. And they literally stand up and they say, we cannot help but tell about the wonderful things we've seen and heard. Right. Every one of us should be like this. Absolutely. Every one of us has a story of you and, 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 and Irene. Yes. I have a story about a divorce with my wife and mm. 10 years of reconciliation and then caring for her as she died from pancreatic cancer. Yes. And, and it makes God's grace so real and powerful and practical. Correct. You become unstoppable. Yes. And, and, I, and I, so I try to challenge people listening to the program to, mm. and this is what we're going to segue into now, is another example of a practical circumstance in living. Right. You have an old, oldest daughter. Yes. Who was in Liberty and she have, became pregnant out That's of wedlock. Right. Tell us that story about that and how you found out about it and yes. and, and, and how you and her interacted and you handled it, because I, I find that fascinating. Absolutely. So my wife, Julie, and I are blessed with three children. So the oldest is Becky. She's now 29 years old. And our second is Michael. And then, of course, the youngest is the one that went home to be with the Lord. Our daughter was at Liberty University studying at the time, and we were excited to seek because I am very passionate about education for our children, both genders. So one day our daughter just dropped out 
out of school with an excellent opportunity in a Christian university, dropped out of school, was gone, didn't want to keep in touch with us, wanted to go live her own life, if you will. Six months later, Ed, that kid showed up and she was pregnant out of wedlock. Now, there's a lot of backstory, but I want to fast forward to just point one thing. It was June 2014. I was going to go to uh, Thomasville, uh, Georgia for a preaching assignment on Father's Day. I am going to the speaking engagement with my daughter that just came home from uh, you know being pregnant out of wedlock. Oh, I was mad. Smoke was coming out of my ears, fire in my eyes. I said, how do you drop the opportunity to get education, which will help you with social mobility? But we later on calmed down, and I just said to her, I'm grateful you didn't choose to abort this child. Mm-hmm. Well, Becky had some complications with our pregnancy. My wife and I decided to support her through this because it's not enough to tell the kids that we have unconditional love for them until a condition surfaces. Yes, right? yes. And so here we are in, in the reality. And this is why Romans 5, 8 becomes so real, but God demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we're yet sinners, we haven't gotten our act together. Christ died for us. And this was an excellent opportunity for my wife and I to demonstrate to our daughter what does grace look like. Not when she brought the great, excellent, you know, <laughs> records from school, yeah. but in the most painful circumstance. And, so, and, and the father was nowhere around. Nowhere to be yeah. found. So we're at the hospital when she was about to deliver this baby. Our daughter was weeping because I was the father in that room, not the father of that child. So she was holding my hand as I was helping her with the breathing. And Becky simply said, Dad, I am sorry for what I've done. You've taught me right. I thought you loved me until this moment, in the, the, the worst moment in my life. I am experiencing your love to me. When the doctors were about, they they helped deliver the baby, as they were handing me this little boy, I picked up this baby at the UVA, uh, and I said to him, Isaac, I'm your grandfather, Cyrus. Welcome. And they gave me the scissors to cut his umbilical cord. And I cut his umbilical cord and said, whatever we have at the house, that's what you're going to eat. Whatever we have, we'll take care of you. So that became an opportunity for my daughter, not just so much when things were going well, but to demonstrate that. And that was the power of forgiveness to be lived out even to our own oldest daughter. Yeah, it's funny. Grace, the same guy that was on the program before, he said that hmm. that Grace is doing something for someone precisely because they don't deserve it. Yes. Or they messed up or whatever. It, it's doing it especially in those circumstances. And that's a wonderful story. It is. Uh, how old is he now? Becky's now 29. Well, how old is Isaac? Isaac is, is going to be five years old in July. Precious boy. And did the father ever you know, get involved with his life? Or? No. I mean, this is one of those things that the father just basically disappeared. Mm-hmm. And so the commitment commitment to look after this kid is that, God, this is what you've done for us. We, your children, who have disappointed you many, many times. So the answer is no, the father never came into the picture, and we continue uh, just by the grace of God to love this precious boy who has brought so much joy to us. So does she live with you guys and with, with Isaac, or is she somewhere else nearby? Or? So she's living in Lynchburg, three and a half hours mm-hmm. down uh, south of uh, Washington, D.C., and has a job, and so she's now caring for this boy. But we go visit him every so often bring them over and he is just a delight for for us to have him around and so yeah, grandchildren are great because when you get tired of them you can hand them back that's to right <laughs> to their parents yes so we've got uh, another three minutes or so hmm. um, i want to make sure if there's any sort of a 
what are you sharing with people these days? What's on your heart? Is there sort of a call to action you'd like to challenge people with? Is there something you want to make sure they, they hear from you with mm. all these experiences you've been through? What, right. what do you feel like? What's on your heart that you feel like sharing? Bottom line, I was born in the middle of the African continent. I have struggled with families that didn't have enough food for us to eat and even water. I hated dry season because that's when we would go to carry water on our head. But by the grace of God, I spent 25 years on the continent, seeing all the ups and downs of what we see on the news about Africa and the balance of that here in the United States. I sit here as an expensive investment of collective hands. People who have raised their hands said, Lord, not on my watch will this one continue to struggle. And so the, the collection of the things my wife Julie and I have experienced, we want these things to count for the kingdom. And I encourage others, I said, you have to open a spiritual portfolio. Everything you've been through, the Lord is going to put them to good use. But here's the deal. We want our lives to count for the kingdom, yeah. not just as unto taking care of our children. So that's what I'm telling people. What will be said of you? That you arrive safely at death like Brother uh, Mark Madison in his book, All In. That's what is really on my heart is, as a believer, it's not just my kids are fed and clothed and my wife and I have a good life. It is that whose life has been made better, introduced to the grace of God as a result of me drawing breath in my life. That is something every single one of us as believers need to be wrestling with that on a daily basis. Yeah, the scripture says that God comforts us in all of our troubles yes. so that we might comfort others. Exactly. We're expected this is a, really a responsibility of ours to, it really to do is. that. It really is. Anything else about you got about a minute or so? Is there anything else that's, because uh, I know we sort of, I love that expression, we want to arrive safely at death. Exactly. And we all do. We just want things to be simple and comfortable and peaceful. But life is messy. We it, get bruised. It is messy. And even this discipleship making business is not a tidy trade because most of us want to go to places that is safe, everything that is comfortable. The Lord Jesus Christ has made it abundantly clear to us. Life is messy. When he spoke those words to forgive others, he had nails in his hand. And it was precisely on a cross that he has taught us, forgive those who have sinned against us. I want to live with that sense of indebtedness to Him, not out of guilt, but out of gratefulness to say, Lord, let my my life, including my house and my family, be a place where these things that I'm teaching others will do. And as a pastor, you run the risk of being the one that has the microphone, and people may see you that you have all it together. I thank God for this privilege you've given me tonight, brother, to let others see that we do not have it together. It's only by the grace of God that we're here and let our lives continue to speak and point to him and he is in control of that amen mm. outstanding listen thank you so much for joining us here you remind me of my pastor mike mentor i used to go to rest in bible for years and he many times from the pulpit he would say nobody's got it all together that's right nobody we all have issues and we have to be open about these things yes. but again thank you for sharing a very personal story yes as well as this good news that you're sharing to us about god's grace working in people's lives around the world this is Ed and Cyrus signing off from Grace and 30 on WERALP Arlington 96.7 FM. Have a great night and be sure to tune into Grace.